Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoyed this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. Title, if you're taking notes, is an invitation to becoming. An invitation to becoming. I love God because he sends invitations. He doesn't force your hand. He invites you into it. So let's go to Romans 6. I'm going to go back to the book of Romans, my favorite book in the Bible. Romans 6, verse 20. It says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time that the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, say, but now. Say that a little louder. Say, but now. I love Paul. He'll set you up for a good but now, right? He's like, oh, that ends in death. We're like, ah, but now, right? Brings life back into your soul. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The fruit which you get leads to sanctification and in it and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So last week we talked about becoming. We understand when we talked about belonging. When we understand when we belong to Jesus, right? We, we become his righteousness. We talked about it with justification. Justification isn't just a forgiveness of sin, but it's an actually, we, we are imputed righteousness. So that means Christ's obedience, Christ's life is now accredited to us. That's pretty amazing. But then now we talked about becoming. So when we belong to Jesus, he gets to tell us what doesn't belong in us. See, the 2021 version of Christianity is this. I like to belong to Jesus, but I like to tell him what doesn't belong in the Bible, what doesn't belong in this relationship, what doesn't, I get to dictate the terms. No, when we belong to Jesus, guess who dictates the terms? Jesus. God dictates the terms of our relationship. God dictates on how we relate to him. And he's, he gave us an amazing gift called grace. And if we receive it by faith, trust in who he is and what he said, we are then made righteous. Come on, that's amazing. That, I think that gets an amen. Come on. But the point of grace is not just to forgive your sins. It's not just to get you into heaven. But the point of grace is to do that and to, to, to bring you to a life that you were designed for. So it's not just to forgive your sins and get you into heaven for eternity. Come on, that's amazing. But it's actually to help you be restored to the life in which you were designed for, the life we were designed for. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 21 through 27, where it talks about the fourfold purpose of man. God's goal is to redeem the original fourfold purpose of man. And one of those in verse 26 is to rule and to reign in this life. So we're not just forgiven of our sins. We're not just imputed the righteousness of God, but God has desired and designed us to walk in relationship with him that he will then draw out the original intent for our life, which will culminate that once we reach eternity, we'll reach glorification, which is the perfection of that plan. But while we are here on earth, God has said, I have given you an invitation to to restore back to the original plan 
plan of man that I designed for you that sin messed up. Sin is what messed this all up. And guess what? We talked about this last week. We are not the solution to our sin. In fact, we are the very problem that perpetuates this lifestyle of self-destructive, self-destructive sinful patterns because we are born into sin. We are born broken and we need Jesus to give us righteousness. So justification deals with the fact that he dealt with something we could not deal with. Justification puts us at peace with God. Sanctification now is the process of us finding peace within ourselves and understanding that as we walk here on earth, we can now become who God originally intended us to be. This is a beautiful thing. Justification is received by faith. So is sanctification. So this is interesting. We're going to dive into that, but let's, let's go into this. Romans 6 says, you were a slave to sin. And now that you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, this is what I need you to do. In, in Romans 6, it actually talks about presenting your bodies as an instrument for righteousness as you did to your sin. So what he's saying is be as intentional as you were in sinning as you are in pursuing God. Some of us, we were good sinners. Come on. If you're not raising your hand, you're still a good sinner. Okay, come on. <laughs> Just kidding. Come on. Right. He's saying be, we have these intentional. We are intentional in sinning when we are living a lifestyle of sin. Right. We, we, we look for it. We search, why? Because it's a part of our nature. But once our nature has changed, we receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and our spirit is transformed. He's saying just as focused as you were to live in those self-destructive patterns, now give yourself to the lifestyle of righteousness. Present your whole body, your mind, your will, your emotions, your physical body, everything about you. Present it to God and now give it to him as you were pursuing his righteousness in your life. This is what Romans 6 is talking about. The whole chapter is about ruling and reigning over sin in your life. It's to rule and to reign. And so Paul uses this word a slave. He uses it in Romans chapter one. We talked about it last week. He says, Paul, the servant or slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. His identity is in the fact that he is a slave to God. We must understand that if we are not a slave to God, guess what we are a slave to? Our sinful, destructive, self-destructing patterns of our life. If we are not giving ourselves to righteousness, we are going to give ourselves to something. And what we give ourselves to other than righteousness will only lead to death. It's only going to just continue to destroy the things that are on the inside. And so as we give ourselves to those patterns of sin, we are no longer, guess what? We are no longer subject to them. It says that in Romans 6. We're no longer subject to the power of sin. Sin is present. Sin is there. Sin is here. But guess what? You now have the fighter's edge. You, whereas before you had no chance now because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus has done, you no longer have to live in the pattern uh, that you were living in before. You know, you don't have to live under subject to sin anymore. God says you can rule and reign. You can rule and you can reign. Sanctification by definition is to be set apart or to be made holy. Holiness is not talked about a lot in the church today. Guess what we get to talk about today? Some holiness. Come on. It's going to be good. Don't worry. Don't stress. It's going to be good. Sanctification is an invitation to a journey to live a life of victory, not defeat on earth. I think my biggest concern for my life and for the church today is that we live a life so defeated as believers when we should be living a life victorious. We get defeated by the weirdest things nowadays. 
I'm going to step on some toes. It's okay. And talk to me after. You can email Adam at freechapel.org, right? <laughs> we are defeated by who gets voted into office. We are defeated by what's posted on Instagram. We are defeated by, by, by what someone said about us. We are defeated by, by mistakes that we've made. We are defeated so easily in this life. As if that's what Jesus calls us to. Sanctification is an invitation to living a life victorious here on earth. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. That doesn't mean you'll get it right every time. That doesn't mean that you're going to be the most perfect Christian ever. Oh, no, it is a life of victory in him. But God has called us to rule and to reign. And he has invited you into a journey with him to walk in victory. He's saying, I want you to be a part of this journey. I, I, just as he invites us to belong, right? Romans 1, 6, as I invite you to belong, he's inviting us now to, to become more like him and to walk in victory, not defeat. We are not defeated because our God is not defeated. We, we, we did not lose because guess what? Our God does not lose. Jesus is victorious. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And the very problem that we had, which is the real problem, is not political issues, is not money issues, is not family issues. The problem is sin. The problem is sin. And guess what? Jesus dealt with that. And he gave us his righteousness. So we can now walk in a life of victory. Justification is imputed into us. Just as sin is passed down to us, passively. So we're born into sin. Guess what? When you receive Jesus, we talked about this last week, right? By faith, righteousness is imputed into you, which means it's accredited to your account. Come on, stimulus checks in Jesus name. That's what it is, but it's way better than the one that the government gave us. Okay. It's like, they work so hard for that. Come on in Jesus name. We're thankful, but this is it, right? Righteousness is the greatest stimulus check you have ever received. When you receive it by faith, you don't do anything. You don't, you're not working. You're responding in faith. Say, I trust you at your word and who you are. And I'm going to live a life as a servant to you. Guess what's imputed into you? Righteousness, credit into your account. Here now, I, when I see you, I don't, I don't look at your past. I don't just forgive you. But guess what? I now look at you and I see the life of Jesus because his life is accredited to yours. That's awesome. But it speaks of an, a passive imputation is what the word is imputed. Sanctification is imparted, which is like an apprenticeship right? An apprenticeship is this. I study under someone who is a master of their trade and I learn how to not just do what they do, but to become who they are. So sanctification is an apprenticeship with the master of the heavens and the earth, the creator of heaven and earth. And we not only get to see what he does, but we should become who he is. That's what sanctification is. It's an impartation. It comes from words. It comes from speaking. It comes from wisdom. It comes from time. It comes from obedience. Why are we so bad at apprenticeship in 2021? I'm a youth pastor, so trust me, I know. Young people think they know better than everybody. Vacation, you do it this way. No, no, I, I, I think I got it. No, no, like, come on, trust me. No, I'll figure it out. Oh, okay. That's what we do with Jesus. We get saved. We receive his righteousness. And we're like, okay, God, I'll figure it out. Thanks. I'll figure out my family. I'll figure out my business. I'll figure out my finances. I'll figure out how to walk out on my purpose. I got it. 
But God is inviting you to allow him to show you how to do this life. Because guess what? It doesn't come naturally at first. Because we are born into sin. So when we receive righteousness, we've got to relearn some things. We've lived lives of just self-destructive patterns. And God is showing, let me show you the life-giving patterns of life that I have designed for you. But it is apprenticeship, or what I like to say is discipleship. Jesus did not come to the earth to get converts. He came to the earth to get disciples. He says, go to all the world and what? Make disciples. He didn't just come so you would be saved on earth. He came so that you could find victory on earth. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. A disciple is someone who's saying, I have accepted the invitation and I will follow you. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that you can have the blood of Jesus and not follow the commands of Jesus. Dallas Willard, my favorite author, says that they are vampire Christians. We want Jesus for his blood, but we don't want to follow his commands. Woo, I'll let that sit. Dallas is a beast, right? Says stuff, and I'm like, oh my God, right? It's an invitation to become an apprentice of Jesus. The creator of heaven and earth will show you who you were created to be through relationship, through a direct contact. There is, Jesus is the intermediary. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the one who bridged the gap. Now through the Holy Spirit, we walk in victory because of the invitation to become like Jesus. Holiness is the greatest attribute of God. Holiness is God's greatest attribute. Over 900 times in the Bible is the word holiness or holy used. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. 900 times is the word holiness talked about. But I think sometimes we are too afraid to talk about holiness because we don't want to step on people's toes. So I want to talk about what holiness is, okay? The primary Old Testament word for holiness would be to cut out or to separate. So to cut out the things that are, that are not clean, unclean. You see that a lot in, in Leviticus. Come on. How many of you have read Leviticus? Actually, proud of you. You're a real Christian. I'm just kidding. We're all, it's not like a mark, guys. Leviticus is pretty good. Okay, it's pretty good. But it talks about a lot as separating. It's a separation from what was common and what is holy, what is sacred, right? That's what we see in the, 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 the Old Testament. In the New Testament, holiness signifies the inner state of freedom from moral fault and a consistency with the moral character and the image of God. I like to say this, holiness, why is God holy? Because he is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character doesn't change. His promises do not change. His nature doesn't change. He's not erratic in his behavior. God is perfectly holy. God is perfectly good. God is perfectly just. It's who he is. He is consistent. He is whole. He is complete. So holiness speaks of a wholeness, a completeness in our life. So the areas that we may not be whole We may be lacking holiness, which would speak to that we are inconsistent with God's nature and God's image and how we think or how we live in that area of our life. So sanctification is to set you apart, to separate the things that used to be self-destructive to you. Now, I love Leviticus because it actually talks about things that maybe aren't sinful, but they're just 
They just need to be separated. Does that make sense? So sometimes we think, well, it's, I mean, holiness means I can't have sin. That's a part of God's perfect holiness. But sometimes holiness is not just removing sin, but it's removing things that are, that are just not sacred anymore. That's a, that, that, that's a self-destructive pattern. It actually may not even be sin. It just may not be good for you. And allowing God to say, hey, that's not for you. Let's remove that. Let's take that. Once again, when we belong to Jesus, he gets to tell us what belongs in us. And so this is the process of sanctification that God is beginning to draw out his holiness in our life. He, God's standard has not changed because of grace. It's now attainable. Now, we will never be perfectly holy because only God is perfectly holy. There is no such thing as perfection in this Christian walk. We will reach a place of glorification where we will become, where, where, where the, our body and our sin and death is destroyed completely. And we now can look without any barriers at God face to face and his holiness can be looked upon. But guess what? Only God is perfectly holy, but he wants to draw that out of us as believers. God's standard has not changed. Jesus, it says Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to what? Fulfill it. He didn't come to just remove all the rules and be like, hey, free reign, go have, you have grace, come on, woohoo! We love that. I'm saved, I can do what I want, yeah, 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 yeah. His righteousness was given to me, yeah, let's go, right? Me and my brothers used to call that greasy grace. We went to a Christian school, we were punks, all right, whatever, Relax. Grace is not that. It's not, I got to live how I want, do what I want. Guess grace empowers you to a life of victory. So you could be saved and living in defeat for no reason. We could be living in defeat and be complaining to God saying, God, I thought I was saved. Why am I still defeated? And he's saying, you haven't accepted my invitation to apprenticeship. I'm sitting here saying, hey, this is a life of victory, but you've got to trust in me. You've got to walk by faith. Faith and repentance, yes, they are what get you justified, but faith and repentance are the process in which sanctifies you as well. Faith and repentance. Faith and I trust what you're saying and I repent of the thing. Look at the Lord's prayer. It says, Lord, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's teaching us how to pray. What is that doing? That repentance is not a repentance of re getting, getting re-saved. It's a reconnection to the Father. It's removing things that are clouding your connection, saying, God, this pattern in my life. So I think rep repentance is aligning your confession and aligning your lifestyle to what God says about your sin. Align your thinking and your confession and say, God, I align my thinking. I think about my sin the way you think about my sin. You hate it. I think about these self-destructive patterns in my life the way you do. I don't, I hate it. This is not the best for me. And now I confess what you say about it. God, I will live in victory. I am going to rule and reign. I am no longer under the, the power and the weight of sin, but I am now walking in victory. So we need to begin to align our thinking, align our confession, and then allow God to begin to drive our walk. This is sanctification. I know I'm taking some time to build it. I finally got to my first point. Here we go. Guys, last week I did so good on time, okay? Relax. So good. I'll do better this week, I promise. Number one, the first thing we got to understand about sanctification, it's a part of, it's about becoming the image of God. We are image bearers of God himself. We are image bearers of Christ to a broken, hurting world. 
It's about becoming the image of God. Second Corinthians three, verse 16 says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Come on. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And with, and, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit, the word transformed. And then I like, it says the same image. So God's not transforming you in different images. It's the same image. It's just becoming more and more clear. That's what the verse is saying. The, the word for transformed in the Greek is metamorpho, where we would get metamorphosis, which is the process in which an insect becomes fully mature. That's what the scientific, you know, there's metamorphosis. I just gave you a biology lesson as well. You didn't realize that, but that's what it is. But metamorpho means this, to transform the essential nature of something. That's what the Greek word means in transform. To change or to transform, metamorpho means to change or to transform the essential nature of something. So when it's saying we are transformed into the same image of God from one degree or another, it's saying the very essential nature of who you are is beginning to change and transform to where you no longer like recognize who you are because it's no longer the same image in which you used to be because your very essential nature of who you used to be is being fully transformed. Have you ever seen a caterpillar and a butterfly, right? They're in two different stages of metamorphosis, yet they're the same insect. One transforms through metamorphosis into the other. That's what it's talking about. It starts off a little larva, goes to, I don't know even all the processes. Honestly, guys, I act like I'm a scientist, but I barely pass biology. I was really good at talking, so I convinced my teacher to, I'm like, come on, dude. My dad will be so mad. He's like, all right. I was like, thank you. Right? Metamorphosis is the transformation of your essential nature. The goal of the Christian life is to conformity to the image of God, the image of Christ. Conformity. We will conform one way or the other. Romans chapter 12, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The same word, metamorpho. Be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. So Paul goes in more detail in Romans 12 to say, it actually begins in your thinking. The essential, how you think about yourself, how you think about God, how you think about the world needs to be transformed. But we will be conformed either into the image of our sinful self-destructive patterns or we will be transformed into the image of God. I love this in Proverbs. It says this, but the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Is our light shining brighter and brighter? Remember that song, this little light of mine. I don't know how to sing out of this. I'm trying to like hum it, hoping you guys would join, but you didn't. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Participation. Our, our, we, we are the light of the world, it says, the churches. We are to shine brighter and brighter. What makes us shine brighter and brighter? It's not that we yell louder and louder. It's not that we pull out the scriptures that we learn. Woo, let me tell you about that scripture that's telling me about your sin right now. No. 
It's that the very essential nature of who we are begins to be transformed into the essential nature of who he is. And as individuals, guess what? We get to do this together. So when we come to community and when we come to church, it's to glorify the one in which we are trying to be image bearers of. And that when we look at each other, we don't point out the sin in one another, but we allow it to be a revealer of the sin that's still in us. And we're saying, God, I want to be a light that transforms brighter and brighter. It is essential for the church to understand that we must be a part of the invitation to become victorious in Christ Jesus. I love this because guess what? Metamorphosis is not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. One of the biggest mistakes we make with sanctification, we go, we understand that justification is from the inside out. We can't do anything about it. God transforms our spirit. He gives us righteousness, but for some weird reason, It's called pride and religion. We think that now the process of sanctification flips and goes from the outside in, that it becomes behavioral control. As if God would change his mode of operation. Guess what? God is holy, thus he is consistent. So if God's mode of operation for salvation was by faith through grace, guess what his mode of operation for transformation is? By faith through grace. From the inside out, not the outside in. This is what his problem was with the Pharisees. It's the Pharisees thought too much about the outside. They thought that they could regulate their, their, their behavior and they could control these things and think, this is what makes me righteous. And Jesus wants to remind us, you could not be righteous without me. And so why do we think we could be transformed into the image in a different way? So this message is not for us to walk out here and be like, okay, now I gotta be better, man. Woohoo! I'm not gonna cuss this week. I'm gonna fast really hard. I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna pray a lot. All of those things are great. We don't want you to cuss, but my point is this. The withholding of a behavior doesn't necessarily equate a transformation. It's deeper than that. The invitation to sanctification is so much deeper. It's an apprenticeship. Some days you're going to, you know, when we start this journey, we're going to be like, oh, I think I got it. And then God's going to throw us something new. And we're going to be like, ah, I got to learn again. Holy Spirit, teach me. Teach me. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to grow. Change who I am. You know, the difference between incomplete metamorphosis and complete metamorphosis is this. One finishes the process outside of the cocoon. The other allows the process to be fully mature inside. So a butterfly is a part of the complete metamorphosis. It allows itself to be transformed fully on the inside before it then becomes a butterfly. But something like a moth, right? Like no one likes moths. They're part of the incomplete metamorphosis, which they grow their wings outside of the cocoon. Sometimes we have an incomplete or an immature development in God. We've been in a relationship for a long time with Jesus, but for some reason we stopped growing or stopped having this hunger to develop more into the image and hasn't become brighter and brighter. It's just stayed kind of the same as it was. Jesus is calling all of us, whether this is the first time you're hearing the gospel message or you've heard this about 50 times, he's calling all of us to a life of growing because none of us are perfectly holy. It's from the inside out, not the outside in. 
So we have an invitation to becoming the image of God and image bearers of God. The second thing that we have in the invitation to becoming is becoming more intimate with God. I love this. Ephesians 5. This is the verse that you read at weddings or premarital counseling, which is awesome. But in fact, the context of this verse is is imagery of how God treats us as his bride, how Jesus treats us as his bride. He, Paul uses the imagery of an earthly relationship to give us better understanding of our heavenly relationship. So it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might what? Sanctify her, that he might set her apart. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle and such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He uses this understanding of marriage. Marriage is such a great but challenging relationship because it's covenant. It's not easily broken. So I'm going to use an imagery of marriage because of the subject matter in Ephesians 5. When I was married November 4th, 2016, guess what? I'm not more married today than I was the day I got married. But hopefully, you have to ask my wife this, I think I've been pretty good. We've grown in intimacy, understanding, connection with one another. So this is how salvation works. Sometimes we think salvation is so flimsy and fragile. No, it's like marriage. So the day you actually trust in Jesus, you fully put your faith in him and he, you receive his grace, receive his righteousness. Guess what? That's like being married. You've now entered into covenant with Jesus. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're a part of the church. Welcome to the family. And so whether you've been saved a day or 50 years, the process is now Intimacy. You could be married for 50 years and be strangers in the same household, yet still be in covenant. So sometimes we're very short-sighted in our relationship with God. We're like, well, I just got to get close. No, it's understanding. God always plays the long game. So do we want to be saved our entire life and yet be distant and strangers to who our God is? And it says in 2 Corinthians that everything you did on earth will be tested by fire. And what is not consumed by fire, you can bring with you. So some of us, we may be living a life trying to keep up with everything else on earth that actually won't even last in eternity. That's why he uses marriage. Marriage should be thought of in this very, very important covenant. Look Throughout the children of Israel, God often sees them as the bride and he's the groom. That's why he says, you adulterous people, read the book of Hosea. It's all about how Jesus is with the church and with the children of Israel. They continue to leave him. God was so good to the children of Israel. Guess what? They saw his provision with their own eyes. They saw his power with their own eyes. They saw his protection. They saw his very presence. Yet they still did not believe. Because faith is not opposed to the knowledge of God. It's opposed to just sight, having to see it. Marriage with Jesus is a step into intimacy with him. 
God wants you to learn his, his thought patterns. God wants you to learn how he communicates. God wants you to learn about who he is. And as he did this to sanctify her, to set her apart. So when I chose Nancy to marry her, guess what? I put on this ring. As you can see, I'm not going to take it off because it's cold and it's like stuck. So, right, this is my ring. This is the outward sign of the covenant I made with her. So if you see this ring, guess what you, you, you hear? No. I've been separated from you and I'm connected to her. The outward sign. Now I could take this ring off and guess what? It doesn't change the covenant. My wife might be mad at me, but it doesn't change the covenant. I'm still in covenant with her. Okay? So it's a calling to be set apart between you and God. It's a whole devotion to him. God has been wholly devoted to you. He wants you to be wholly devoted to him. And then also communication, we see cleanses in the marriage with God and the relationship with God. So God sets you apart. It's a whole commitment to each other. Then it says, you will be washed in the water of the word. So guess what? As you consume God's word, whether you realize it or not, it's giving your soul a bath. So when you consume God's word, what comes out is God. Why is it important that we study God's word and know God's word and understand Joshua 1, 7, it says, meditate on the word day and night and, I, and your ways shall have success and be prosperous. The word success is used only four times in the ancient Hebrew text. And every time it's used in the, in the context of understanding and prudence and wisdom to the words of God. Success in God's life is that you actually find the deepest revelation of what he was saying to you, because in that, it cleanses you. Madame Guyon, who's this amazing author and, and, and saint um, that's gone before, she writes, she says, I would rather apply 10 verses of the Bible into my life than read my Bible every day and apply none. It's not just reading the word, but it's allowing the word to get into the very depth of who you are. Be challenged by communication. If you're married, you understand this or any relationship, really, not even just marriage, family, friends, communication is key, right? You guys could love each other. You could be care for each other. But if you don't communicate very well, you actually may miss out on intimacy. God's way of communicating to us is through his word and through prayer and through a still small voice. Get silent before God. Take time to allow him to speak to you. It says that when people are married, it says the two become one. Our goal in this intimacy is to not be two separate people living in the same house, but it's to become one with Jesus. And in order to become one with Jesus, we have to let him take the lead. Okay, let's go. I'm falling right behind. I want to be one with Jesus. The third point of the invitation to becoming is that it's a calling to character. Becoming is a calling to character. Romans chapter five, verse one. This might be my favorite chapter inside of my favorite book, by the way, Romans five. It's called the much more chapter. It's awesome. Romans five, verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, 
not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, our endurance produces character, our character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We rejoice, which means this, that we find joy in what we're doing together. That's what rejoice means. You find joy in what you're doing together with God. That's what sanctification is. It's God saying, hey, follow my lead. Let's do this together. Let me show you as an apprentice on how to deal with these things in life. And you find joy in it that the very creator of heaven and earth decided to choose you on the cross. An invitation was sent to your life that you do not have to live in defeat, but you can live in victory. That should make you rejoice. Not just in the glory, but he says, rejoice in the suffering. Now, suffering is very subjective and very relative. But what that word means is a deep pain and trial. So some things in our life are not suffering. Can I be honest? Wearing a mask is not suffering. It's not desirable, but it's not suffering. It's not persecution. I know that like you guys are going to be mad. Email Adam. I already told you, okay? Suffering is a deep pain through a trial. So we can not only just rejoice in the glory of who God is and what we get to do together, that we get to experience his glory, but when we go through deep sufferings and trials and pains in this life, guess what? That's going to happen. It's going to happen. We are going to face these times where it feels like we're suffering. But a calling to character says in those moments, rejoice because something's being birthed in you. Rejoice because the image of God's becoming more clear. Rejoice because God's transforming the essential nature of who you are and how you used to respond to suffering. It won't be the same and you won't even realize it. Suffering is the revealer to where you're at in your relationship. Suffering is the revealer to where you're at with your relationship. Everyone understands that when you're, man, when you first started dating, if you're married, it was awesome. Woo! You're like, man, that girl's beautiful. She's like, oh, he's handsome. I'm like, yeah, come on. Right? You're like, you can't wait to hug and kiss. And then you have kids and you're like, oh, I'm tired, babe. Like, I'm tired. Okay. Right? It's actually the difficulties in life that show the genuineness of your relationship. When we, under, when, when we first start believing in God, it's awesome. It's amazing, right? It's a, but it's when life begins to challenge us and separate us. It begins to show where we are at. It, it's a revealer. So we rejoice in that. And then it says that produces endurance. Endurance is sticking with it. And really the imagery that this author would have been used, it's like a soldier who's in the middle of battle. He's in the thick of battle and he's being hit on all sides, yet he still continues to fight. And he continues to follow what he was trained to do. Why is it important that we are an apprentice? Because it's actually God training you. I was a wrestler and we would just wrestle and we'd do something called shadow wrestling for hours. You're doing the same thing over and over, right? And I'd be like, this sucks. I'd be so mad at the coach. 
But why? He's doing, he's saying, if you, when you do, when you get in the match, when you get in the thick of battle, guess what? You're not even gonna have to think about what to do. It's just gonna come out of you. It's training. It's apprenticeship. That's why he's talking about a soldier who's in the thick of battle, who's taking blows from every side, yet he stands. He doesn't give up and he sticks to his training. This is what I was trained for. We weren't trained to just cruise through life where everything's easy. We were trained that when life gets difficult, we begin to bear the image of God. Whereas everyone else would shrink and crumble and want to give up. We are like, wow, we have a hope in Jesus that is way greater than anything that is happening to me right now. Perseverance produces character. I'm going to quote Dallas Willard again. I'm sorry. His definition of character is who you are without even thinking. I think when I'm growing up, I've heard character has been who you are when nobody's looking. But I feel like that doesn't even, that, that there's one step deeper. It's who you are without even thinking. So when something bad happens to you, what is your first response is the greatest revealer of what, where your character is at. So God wants to develop something in you that you begin to operate and think and live as Christ would live without even thinking about it. So it's from the outside in, not the inside out. It begins to be produced out of you. So your family member starts going off on you in the holidays and you used to go off right back. Woo, I'm ready for a fist fight. You came into the family dinner with the boxing gloves on. You were ready to go. You had some great comebacks already in your mind. But something's changed. Not your frustration with your sibling or your family member. But they start going on and you're just like, I mean, I just love you. I, I don't have anything to say back. I used to. And it's not that I don't want to. But my nature's just being changed and I don't know how. Just been following Jesus. So you're saying, take my stuff a mile. And God says, I go too. So I'm going to do the abnormal and say, you know what? You're kind of jacked up, but I love you. And we're going to go in this together. It's a character's who you are without even thinking. That's what's produced in you. But that's not the end. It says character then produces what? Hope. Hope. Hope is not tied to the things of this world. Guess what? Our version of hope is tied to uncertainty. Well, I hope this happens, which means we're kind of uncertain that it will, but we really hope for something good, right? Our hope in Jesus is not out of uncertainty, but out of guarantee. Our hope is a guarantee. It's not out of uncertainty. God says he would do it. Guess what? He's going to do it. God says this is who he is. Guess what? That's who he is. God says this is the plan for your life and these are the purposes for your life. Guess what? That's what's going to happen. God says when you read his word, it's cleansing you. God says that when he has a relationship for you, God says you can rule and reign in this life. Guess what? Your hope is this. I don't see it right now, but God has given us a guarantee. And if he's given me a guarantee, he will be faithful and good to bring it about. And most of the things we hope for, we may not even see in this life. If you 
read Hebrews 11, read on how all the people of the hall of faith never saw what they had their faith in, yet they never doubted for a second that God would bring it about in their life because he did in eternity. So the things that maybe you're hoping for, maybe you see it now, but guess what? I guarantee you that when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, you will see what you have been hoping for. But what gives you hope that God is good, that when your character is transformed, when you are transformed in the image of God, not on the action of your, on your own effort or your own ability, but you're transformed by the Spirit of God, it should give you hope that God is faithful, that God is good, that who I used to be is not who I am today, not because I'm good, not because I'm religious, not because I got it all right, but because He's good, and if He's good, He's faithful, and if He's faithful, then what He says is going to happen, so I don't have to worry, I don't have to be defeated, I can walk in victory because He's victorious, I can walk with hope because He's my God, He's my Lord, and He has transformed who I am, Woo! So let me tell you what our prayer should be if we lack hope in God. I know I got a little crazy, a little Pentecostal. I grew up Pentecostal. You can stand your feet. I'm finishing. It helps me. Got a little Pentecostal. I was going like all like Baptist for a while with the headset, and then I just went full Pentecostal. Stand. And stand your feet. Stand your feet. If we are lacking hope, the greatest prayer that we should pray is God develop character in me. Because we see in Romans 5 that it's actually that the character of God is what produces hope in God. So may I argue that if we lack hope, we may lack wholeness. Wholeness and understanding of who God is and what God has done. God is so good. Life can be bad, but God is good. Life can be difficult, but God is good. And our hope is found in a whole understanding of who he is. God is inviting you today, not only to belong to him, but to become with him, to be image bearers. Let your light get brighter. Let your intimacy get stronger and let your character be produced in you in this life. But it's an invitation to an apprenticeship. God is saying, I want to train you. You've got to listen. Because if you belong to me, i got to tell you what doesn't belong in you. And guess what? We all got some stuff that don't belong in us. But God is saying, it's okay, I got you. Because if I set you free from the penalty of sin, I'm going to set you free from the power of sin in your life. You no longer have to be subjected to the self-destructive patterns that you were living before. So can we close our eyes for a moment? This is a call to hope. First of all, before I move on, if you have not began a relationship to God where you understand that you belong to him, today you get a prayer prayer. And by faith, you can say, I trust not only in your words, but I trust in who you are completely and wholly today. And I understand that my eternity will be paid for by my faith in Jesus. And then you will belong to not only God, but to God's family, which is the church. We're going to pray for that. But the second thing, what I want to call for is a call to hope. There is hope. His name is Jesus. And be encouraged today that if you are on the journey 
of being an apprentice of Christ and there's things that are challenging you, let that character produce what you feel like you're lacking, which is hope. And it's the holiness of God and the consistency of God that gives us the hope that God is who he says he is. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do. I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You are so consistent. So God, I pray today we accept your invitation. If we don't belong to you yet and we haven't begun a relationship today, we put our faith and our trust in you. We say, God, I believe in my heart and I'm confessing with my my mouth that you are Lord and that you are who you say you are and that you did what you said you were going to do and you're going to continue to do that. God, I trust in you. But Lord, if I do belong, but I've been walking in a life that lacks the image of God, I've been walking in a life that lacks intimacy with you. I've been walking in a life that lacks your character. So God, I pray today, I am accepting your invitation to apprenticeship. I will now give myself to what you have called me to do and who you've called me to be. And Lord, I trust that you know what's best for my life. You know who you've designed me to be. And I don't have to try to take control, but in order to live in your kingdom, I've got to die to my own. So God, we die to our kingdom today. And we say, King Jesus, lead us, guide us, direct us. And as we get that developed in us, we will receive the hope you promise and understanding that our eternity is set, that you are faithful and true to your word, and that you are who you say you are. Jesus, you are good, you are faithful, and we thank you. Come on, can we give it up today, because God is good. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.